What is up, podcast fam? Thank you so much for tuning in to today's Energy Exchange with Lindsay Elmore. And guys, when I say that this episode blew my mind, I am not exaggerating one bit. We dive deep into so many controversial subjects, but Lindsay's perspective is so refreshing and she is one of the most knowledgeable, well-read health practitioners, coaches, healers that I've ever encountered. And we talk about all things healing and how to get out of a toxic relationship, how to identify a toxic relationship. And then we go deep into holistic health, really getting deep into the root cause of illnesses and ailments. And of course, we talk about COVID and the whole controversy around wearing masks. Is it actually effective or not? And I know you may have a belief system regarding this, but I ask you to please keep an open mind because Lindsay is so intelligent. And like I said, she doesn't talk about things without researching them and and really getting the data on these areas. So. We're gonna talk about breathing with masks. Is wearing masks actually more unhealthy than it is healthy? And again, I'm posing this question so you'll listen and find out and make your own opinion. It's so easy to watch the news and get inundated with all of this drama and fear-based media. And that's where we form our opinions from. So I ask you to really keep an open mind and open heart during this and also, We spoke for about 15 minutes before actually recording the show. And I thought it would be cool for you guys to actually hear that behind the scenes conversation we spoke about. We talked a little bit about business, entrepreneurship, how Lindsay really got started and stepping into her power as a leader, as a coach, as an entrepreneur. And I feel like it'll add a lot of value for you. If that's something you're not interested in hearing and you wanna fast forward right to the show, I would suggest going to about the 12 minute mark. All right, fam, I got so much love for you. You already know what time it is. It's time to unleash your potential. Identify any of those stories you've been telling yourself that simply aren't true because you are one of one and you are here for a reason. Now, let's get to today's show. Lindsay. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to connect with you. I know, I'm so excited to talk with you too. It's gonna be a good one. How are we doing today? How's the Tuesday going? So good. Yeah? Yeah, so good. Yeah, I just finished eating lunch and so I'm feeling like ready to go, you know? So how are you? I'm excellent, I'm here in Miami Beach. Nice, nice. You can see Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I was taking some time to just kind of explore your work and dive a little deeper. And I'm just so impressed by the impact you're making. And, Thank you. And yeah, I, I can't wait to continue getting to know one another. Um, oh, perfect. Yeah, I got, it'd be so fun. I got my essential oils. We'll take a couple deep breaths before getting started. That sounds awesome. Let's do it. Lindsay, how much time do you have today? Uh, I've got a while. My next call is not till four. So even if we go a full hour, we'll be fine. Okay, beautiful. Are you in New York or Asheville? 
Asheville. Yeah. We just moved, uh, my partner and I. So, um, yeah, it was, it was time to make a change out of New York city. So yeah, we moved, we've been here five weeks now. Wow. And how's that transition? I'm originally from the South. And so I love being down South and I'd lived in North Carolina before, but this is my first time ever living in the mountains. And so that's a new experience for me. And so we've got an entire weekend of hiking planned. Um, this past weekend we worked in, we had all these garden beds that somebody had already planted. So we walked into this yard that had like half grown kale and half grown tomatoes. And now that we're kind of reaching the end of the first season of lettuces. And so, you know, over the past weekend, we cleaned out beds and weeded and planted carrot patches and, and radish patches. And we're, we're finding bear tracks on the front porch and all kinds of fun. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The first day, the first morning that we moved in, this absolutely huge bear just walked through the yard and I just thought, okay, the universe is saying it's okay to come out of hibernation. Cause I'd really felt like I had been in a cave in hibernation for several months. And so it was a huge blessing to just to be able to go outside and work on projects and, and do some things that I was not able to do when I was in New York. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so I have some things that I definitely want to cover with you. Um, and before we get started, is there anything that, that you really want to make sure we talk about? Not, not super. It's not like I'm here on a book tour or a podcast tour or anything like that. I would, you know, I would love mentioning that I do have a podcast and just this past week I launched a new free downloadable that is a 100 days of gratitude journal. And so if, you know, that could be a great way just to give your audience something they could check out for free. And if they happen to stumble on the blog or one of the products that I offer, then great. Amazing. Yeah. You're doing a lot. I know you have, you're involved with the, is it essential living with Sam? With Young Living, yeah. yeah. So Sam and I have known each other for a long time, and I have been an influencer in the essential oil realm for a long, for for a really long time—five years, uh, seven years or so—and just it's been an ever-evolving thing. I never intended to, you know, start social media or it to like even be a part of my life, but it just worked out that way. It just worked out that way. And so I've just ridden, ridden the wave of it and learned more, shared more and aimed to become more authentically myself and share that with other people that that's one of the great things that we can do in life. I love that. And I, I'm assuming you have a decent sized team helping you with, you know, all of your platforms, you know, whether it's podcasting, IG, Facebook, I, I don't know how much you're doing on LinkedIn, but um, but how how does that look like for you? Um, so I I own the corporation, and we employ about it, it's it's we're a small team. I mean we we are scrappy. We do a lot, and so I have my business manager who also helps to book the podcast and does all of my PR. I have that's my Sue, right? Manager. That's Sue. Yeah. And then I have my social media manager 
who helps with answering messages as well as ideating posts. She does some posting for me, but still to this day, I write every single Instagram caption. I answer every single Instagram message personally. Um, she takes on the Facebook messaging because Facebook messaging is just simply different than yeah. Instagram messaging. Most of the time, it's much more transactional versus Instagram is like you're actually you feel like you're actually talking to people where right. I don't talk to people on Facebook messenger. And so it, she also works to help, um, communicate with our editing staff to edit the podcast. And so we also have a copywriter and she, she writes a lot for us, um, shipping and operations manager. And then I have a fairly substantial contract with a contractor that does, web development, web hosting, web design, photography, videography, editing, a ton, a ton of stuff. So it's, I love it. it's, yeah, it's big, but I think what's important for everyone who's an entrepreneur is it's about finding the minimum viable product. What is the minimum that you can do? And I remember, I mean, it, I started like every entrepreneur starts by yourself, you know, and still to this day, being an entrepreneur is one of those things that, um, you don't fully realize how much time you spend by yourself on your computer, but you do. And that's what you want. If you're passionate about what you're sharing and if it means enough to you to share it over and over and over again, it, it just perpetuates itself. And eventually you just can't get away from it. And so you might as well call it a brand and launch a business and realize that by you making a living doing that, you're giving value to people's lives. And so you shouldn't feel bad about charging money for what you offer, especially if no one else offers it. And that's the best place to be in. 100%. I love that. Yeah. My business partner and I, you know, he helped me launch like my first high ticket coaching program. And, and we actually just hosted a Amplify Your impact and income workshop here in Miami beach for, you know, I'm also in network marketing with, um, an amazing company. I actually sent one to Sam. Uh, this is like, uh, this is like a, a powerful mushroom, uh, blend, but, but, uh, but really empowering these, these young coaches, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, dietitians, whatever it is. And like you said, like squashing those limiting beliefs around money, because, yeah. Because when you realize like you're actually sharing a very valuable gift, yep. you know, it's not, it, it, it's almost selfish not to, not to share it. So no. Yeah. I mean, especially if you realize that people resonate with what you're saying, like, why would you hold that back from someone? Why would you discredit yourself and say, my message is not valuable. The fact is everyone's message is valuable. It just, some people have big voices in the universe. Other people work one-on-one -on -one and both are extraordinarily valuable and both are life-changing either on the micro or the macro scale. And that was a great lesson for me always helps keep my ego in check is in the eyes of 
God or the universe or the greater or my highest self or whatever you say, the universe doesn't view it any differently. If you make a positive impact on one person's life versus a million's people's lives, you know, the universe doesn't see it any differently if you are kind to one person for 30 seconds throughout your day and you didn't have to be versus if you like went out of your way and were kind to every single person that you could possibly find everywhere. Right. So I just think it's, it's about us uncovering who we are and allowing ourselves the freedom to actually be that person. And then the magic starts to happen. The kindness and the joy and everything just flows right out of you. It becomes Mm. so easy to create more of the world that you want to see. That's powerful. I love that. And, you know, I I wasn't even... What just happened? I lost you. You lost me? You have me now? Yes. There we go. Awesome. I just changed the speaker view. So I'm, my team's going to make micro content from this, some video. And, and okay. I think side by side, typically aesthetically looks the best. So um, I wasn't even planning on like, like recording what we just talked about, but I think it'll actually provide a lot of value. So we'll just keep it in there and, and, and let's just get started. I'll hit the intro later um, when I have your bio on hand. But Lindsay, I'm super, super excited to have you here and share you with my community. And oh, thank you. Yeah. And you have such an interesting background. So can you just give us a quick little uh, story about how you got and became so passionate about what it is that you do? Well, I think as, as everyone, we all go through bumps and bruises along the way of who we are, and that helps us to become greater and greater versions of ourselves. And so for me, I experienced some really tough times early in life that caused me to very much turn inward. And I really struggled with processing my own emotions and where do I belong? Because now I feel lost. And, you know, as we do, we kind of put that down and say, it's going to be okay. And so we went, I went past years and years of self-hate and self-doubt and, you know, abusing myself with food, abusing my body through really painful workouts, all of the things. And I realized at some point in time that I was in a situation where I had to make a change. I had torn my ACL when I went on my first ever skiing trip. I couldn't sit squarely on my bum and that landed me in the chiropractor's office. I told the chiropractor that I had had insomnia and she sent me to the acupuncturist's office. That opened my eyes to, wait a minute, there's some really different ways about looking at health. Because, you know, I'm in pharmacy school at the time. I have a degree in chemistry. There is a lot of 
steps along my journey that seem divergent. Are you in your I, early 20s at this point? Yeah, I'm in my early 20s at this point. So I graduated high school, got my bachelor's, and now I'm in, I'm in pharmacy school. And my first year of pharmacy school, I tear my ACL. And that started me down a path that really helped me to go through a lot of layers of recovery. Mm. So first step was the chiropractor and like realizing, wait, this thing that everybody kind of says is wackadoo just helped me immensely. Then going to the acupuncturist and having some sort of unspoken cognition that my body understood this. It was ready to slide back into this. It, it knew what it was going for. And now I don't go to the acupuncturist that much, but every single time I do from the very first needle, I'm just like, and I'm back. And so you start getting to know people in these communities. And I started attending alternative medicine seminars where I met shamans and people who believed that through strategic exercise that you could restore your sight even when sight had been lost. People who practice homeopathy, who a lot of people are like, oh, homeopathy, that's just hooey. That does not work. Um, I started realizing that Ayurveda was out there. And so I just got introduced to all these healing modalities. So I go forward, I graduate pharmacy school, I do my first year postdoc, which was in internal medicine. So I'm in the hospital, I'm dealing with patients who are there for very, very common reasons that people are in the hospital. And I realized from that experience, wow, I think I want to help people stay out of the hospital, mm. which was a very different path than what people expected of me because I have an assertive personality. I always like being at the top. I like the hardest, the, the biggest of the biggest challenge. So when I said that I was going to go into primary care, a lot of my friends were like, wait, no, you're supposed to go into the ICU. You're supposed to be the one who's like dealing with people at death's door. But I realized that there was something missing in that. There was something about a layer of care that I personally could not do that patient justice. I have amazing friends who work in the ICU and they, they do, they bring people, they, they help people to recover from the worst of the worst. But I just thought, you know, I want to help people live better lives. So then I did my second year residency here and I loved it. I loved it so much because I saw that there was a, a way that you can work with people on a different level. Mm. But then what I realized is... There's not a lot of like, there's something missing from the profession that I was searching for. There was something missing from the profession. And it's only been in the past few weeks 
that I realized what I think is missing from a lot of medical practices, pharmacy practices, is we've forgotten the heart of pharmacy, you know, and I was blessed enough to take a course in pharmacy school called the heart of pharmacy, where we discussed how do I, as a human being, interact with people as they make some of the most challenging decisions of their life? And how do I greet someone with compassion Mm. and with empathy and without judgment. That is one of the things that I just made my marching orders as a pharmacist. Like you can tell me anything as your pharmacist and I will not be surprised. I will not think you're a bad person. I don't care. And it dates back all the way to me practicing in, in pharmacy school. So in pharmacy school, I worked in the county hospital. Well, that means I had to go through the psychiatric jail unit. And it always struck me like, I wonder what that person is like what drives them what makes them who they are how did they get off track to end up here because i've realized that a lot of the time it's not just oh you're a product of all your bad decisions your circumstances sometimes lead you to those bad decisions so i was always a weirdo pharmacist that wanted to like actually sit down in a patient's room and be there for an hour and actually go through their medications and really make sure they understood them. And I wanted to know that they were seen as a person. You know, it didn't matter where I was, what clinic I was in. I worked in a methamphetamine rehab clinic specifically for gay men. I worked in opioid addiction clinics where half the time people would come in and be like, I don't need methadone today. Where's the clean needles? And you're like, don't get HIV. Come back immediately if you do. You know, and you just take care of people where they are. Mm. And that has allowed me to, number one, preserve my soul in the practice of pharmacy. Because I know that no matter what, I met that person with humanity, with kindness, with love. And it's also given me the opportunity to show people a different way that medicine can be. So if I can do my part to put the soul back into the way that we approach our healthcare, great. And the ways that I do that are by seeing you as a person, knowing that you have intrinsic value, knowing that your current healthcare situation is not necessarily a byproduct of you and you alone. It is also a byproduct of the circumstances that you were raised within, as well as the system that puts barriers into place differentially for some people versus others. And I will always meet people where they are. That Mm. is so important to me, you know? Um, And that's probably what you were seeking 
when you were going through your different obstacles and adversities is just for someone to see you show that level of compassion and lead with the heart, like you said. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's hard in healthcare as it is, I'm sure in most professions, it's hard to put your heart out there. You know, if you're, if you're a fitness trainer, you want your clients to be successful. And if you long for that in your heart of hearts and then they fail, somehow you feel like you fail. But as long as I show up and share with people, hey guys, there's this amazing solution for what you're going through. And I was never shy to sometimes discuss with families if it felt appropriate, you know, that death is a part of life and death can be a beautiful part of life. And let's, let's honor what's going on in front of us. And I've had people tell me before that that's not my job as a pharmacist. They're like, you should leave that to the physicians. And I'm like, well, there are a lot of physicians who also don't see that as their job. And they also see that perhaps offering that, that moment of vulnerability is not there. So why should I not do that? Why should mm-hmm. I not be there and offer up? Sure. I can tell you how to take your medicines. I can tell you, I can tell you, you know, with with my background and training, I I became kind of that wacky pharmacist who knew as much about herbs and supplements. And now goodness knows, I know as much about essential oils. I'm learning about functional medicine. I'm learning about releasing trauma and emotional uh, transformation techniques, neuro-linguistic programming, the value of therapy. I mean, you name it. I've tried it at this point. So there's nothing out there that a patient could bring to me that I am going to devalue. You know, I think so many people walk into their pharmacy and they pick up an herb off of the shelf and they just say, hey, doc, do you know if this is safe with my medications? And the pharmacist says, I have no idea. I'll talk to your doctor. Lindsay, let me ask you, um, let me ask you, because as you've accumulated all of this knowledge in the holistic space of health, I imagine there was a little bit of this internal battle, this tug of war, because as a pharmacist, you're prescribing you know, different pills, different medications, and, and you probably are also thinking like, hey, there's much more holistic, healthy ways to actually penetrate the root cause, right, than just address the symptoms. So was that something that you encountered in your experiences as a pharmacist? Oh, 110,000%. I mean, there's nothing seemingly more frustrating than having someone in front of you who's, um, you know, 40, 50, 60, 80 pounds overweight and I'm not talking, so we'll get back to that. So, you know, people who are overweight, who aren't eating a good diet, who aren't exercising and, and nothing, nothing frustrates me more than seeing people in abusive and toxic and detrimental relationships because 
it takes 30 seconds of crazy for you just to decide, come heck or high water, I'm out. I don't Peace. care. Deuces. Deuces. I'm out. And so, like, <clears throat> I just think that, yes, it, it has been frustrating. And there, there was a time that I left pharmacy practice because I was so frustrated with it. And this year, 2020, has been a year that has come a bit more full circle for me because I realized, wait a minute, pharmacy's been changing a little bit. And there's been this groundswell that I said, I, I went into 2020 and said, I want to get back into seeing more patients because now, because because I've been out there, patients who come to me are actually ready for the changes that I'm ready to offer. And that's really powerful. That's you mean because they've been really, following your work online and other places? They know my work online. And even way back in the day, I... I would, st I would see patients and the patients who came to me were looking for those natural solutions. But what I've realized is there's a fallacy in Western medicine that unfortunately cannot be duplicated in natural medicine. And that is there's no straight line to, to what's going to make you well. I can't give you a magic pill. It doesn't exist. I mean, friends, think about it. If we had a pill that made us young and attractive and thin and we could eat whatever we want and we never had to exercise except when we wanted to. We had perfect relationships. We never carried the genetic trauma of our parents. We had an amazing spiritual connection with the world around us and were just the best humanitarians that had ever existed and aimed to give everyone else what we had. We would have found it already. But I just realized in my life, I have a choice in how I live my life. And in a roundabout way, I think that the sad guru summed it up for me this morning. I did a guided meditation and he tells the story of a Greek Orthodox bishop traveling to India and there sits a man just meditating in bliss. And the bishop asks the man, what is life? And the yogi answers, life is like the scent of jasmine on a spring breeze. And the bishop responds, no, no, that is not what our Pope says. The Pope said that life is like a thorn and we must renounce life and that even Jesus Christ wore a crown of thorns to show us how life must be a struggle. And the yogi responds, well, that's his life. Mm. And if I can just say to everyone, you have the choice between one thought or another. You have a choice between one food or another, one glass of water versus a, another. You have these small little choices that bring you one step closer to wellness because there is no magic pill. No matter if you, if you come to me and you're on one medicine, three medicines, 40 medicines, 
chances are, unless you're on an antibiotic or an antiviral medicine or specific types of, of chemotherapy, none of those are actually aiming to cure you. They're not aiming to heal you. And even after the healing has taken place, the residual toxic load, and I mean that in like the broad Ayurvedic sense, the ama, the toxic load that you have inherited from your parents that was the access to food and love that you had as a child, the toxic load that comes from your chemical cleaners around your house, the food that you eat, the toxic, the big picture of it all still exists until you decide to choose something other than one toxin at a time. Mm. And when you stop choosing the toxins, then you give your body the ability to actually get rid of it and the hardest soul work that we have to do to get really down to what's causing us to be sick is to look at those places inside of us that we don't want to look at. The places inside of us that we all have, be they big or be they small, where for some reason, we don't know why, we still hate ourselves, right. we still are scared of the stuff that happened when we were three years old. Look at that and continually engage with that and just say, you know, hey, little crying three-year-old, I see you down in there. Here's a sip of water. For, for sure. You yeah. Know? yeah. The, it's funny, like Don Miguel Ruiz in, in Mastery of Love, he calls that, you know, our emotional, our emotional wounds. Um, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because literally last night I took this video and I was basically talking, I was peel, like I was cutting through an onion and I was basically saying, you know, in our human experience, we tend to stay at the surface level. And the reason we do that is because we, when we peel back the layers, right, and we face our shadows and we see some of these uh, vivid moments and memories that triggered these different traumas, right, we cry, we, we, we experience pain. But understand that with that pain and with that awareness, we're able to take ownership and, and get rid of some of these blind spots that might be holding us back from fully stepping into our potential. And I want to return back, Lindsay, to when you, when you mentioned the importance of removing toxic relationships. Okay. So, so, so this will be, this will be fun. So what are three signs that everyone listening and watching can be aware of that you're in a toxic relationship? What are three signs that you're in a toxic relationship? Okay. Well, first and foremost, I will share something with you that my aunt told me when I was 11 years old and I thought she was the craziest woman ever. But she said, if you are dating someone and you ever have a fight where it's so intense and you feel like you have no other choice 
She said, if you feel backed into a corner and like you have no other choice than to come out swinging, you might as well just end that relationship right then. There's no point in going forward. If you have a partner who is so unwilling to hear your side of the story, your side of the equation, that's not a great sign. And so I think now that I'm older, a more gentle way to say that is if you consistently feel like your partner does not hear you or that your friend does not hear you, one-sided relationships of all kinds are very important to eliminate. If you have a friend who also, it just brings so much stress, so much drama. Every single time you talk to them, it's another problem or it's this or it's that. Just let it go, you know, just let it go. And it's easier than you think. It's way easier than you think. And you don't have to be mean about it. I think so many people, especially women are like, oh, but they might think I'm not nice. Well, nice chicks and nice guys finish last because you know what Mr. Nice Guy does? Tries to please everyone instead of being who you authentically are. As I've gotten older, I have also cut out relationships of like, and I think especially right now as we I truly believe are becoming more awakened as a society. And I think that many of us who aren't out there on the pedestal screaming and yelling about everything that's wrong with the world, I'm just over here raising the earth. You know, can we just raise some earth energy right now? And I think that if you are in a situation where you're making positive changes in your life, and you look back and you say, wow, I really like that person. But every time I'm around them, it's just how drunk can we get or what gossip can we spread or what, you know, what person can we talk bad about? Let that go because all of that pervades your thought process. Mm. Another lesson I learned, this is, it speaks to this lesson I learned as a child too. If you're standing on top of a chair where you've got amazing ethics, where your heart is so full of kindness that it flows to other people, where you've got a meditation practice and a healthy eating practice and a this and a that, it is so much easier for someone to pull you down off of that chair than for you to lift someone up. So another thing to think about is, am I constantly pouring my efforts into helping someone else improve their life and they are not simultaneously doing that same thing to me? And maybe you're three years into it of like, hey, let's go to the gym. You keep saying you want to lose weight. You know, it's January the 3rd. We promise to do this together move on, move on. Because if you tie your success to someone else's success, 
you're in really bad shape. Mm, I, I love that. I also think that trust is a huge thing, especially in your most intimate of relationships. So with your partner, with your spouse, I knew I was in a really good relationship with the, the man that I'm with now. When he asked me, Hey, can I borrow your phone? And I like, didn't even look up. I didn't think about it. I just handed him my phone. And I just, I didn't think about like, who have I texted? Is he going to get on Facebook? Is he going to be worried about like some guy from flipping high school who I talk to three times a year? So if you're seeing those trust issues where you've done nothing wrong, now, if you've done something wrong, you may want to come clean about that. And yeah, there may be some trust issues to deal with after that, but you made your bed lying it. But if you've done nothing wrong, well, then your partner has underlying trust issues that were either inherited from parents or have to do with being hurt in the past. And if they can't get over that, then that's not on you. Then that's not on you. And then I think one last brief thing I will say, especially, I think it's for all the people, but the book that was written back in the late 90s, Girl, He's Just Not That Into You. I mean, honey child, no matter what kind of relationship you want to be in, if the person that you want to be in that relationship with does not call you back, stands you up on dates, maybe hangs out with you every like 12th time that you pseudo make plans and you're checking your phone like every 15 minutes waiting on them. That's an obsession. And he, he's just not that into you. And the great news is you will either find someone who loves you for exactly who you are, but you know, the hard work is you have to know exactly who you are and if you don't find that person, that one person that you're looking for, you can craft a community of friends, of colleagues, of brothers and sisters within the universe who you may not have that one-on-one -on -one partnership that you may seek, but you can still live a healthy, rewarding, and fulfilled life. So know who you are. And it will attract people who appreciate who you are. And all the other people, they just weren't ready for that jelly and just cut them off. Hey, I love that. That's powerful. And I, I think, honestly, the, the, the thing that I took the most value from what you just said is that most people don't know who they are, right? So, so understand, you know, that the law of attraction is going to attract people that you're embodying. So if you're embodying, you know, untrust, unworthiness, you know, lacking confidence, uh, self-doubt, all of these things, that's what you're going to manifest. That's what you're going to attract. And that is really important to know is to get clear with your core values, get clear with what it is that you want to create in your lifetime. And Going back to this idea, this, this concept of death, I know you made a post about this recently. And a lot of people right now, Lindsay, are operating from a very fear-based mindset, right? They're probably watching a lot of the news. They see 
these numbers are going up, they think there's nothing they can do about it, and they're constantly perpetuating more stress, more anxiety, a weakened immune system, right? And, and I, I'd love to get your opinion about what's going on right now, how our country is responding, because I feel like with someone that has your reputation, that has your body of work and your knowledge, like you have a lot of wisdom to share on this topic. And I'd love to just hear where your head's at. What up fam? Sorry to interrupt today's show, but I am so excited. This podcast, the Energy Exchange Podcast, is something that I have put my blood, sweat, and tears into. And honestly, the best way that you can show your gratitude for me and this show is by leaving an honest review in the iTunes store. It would genuinely mean the world to hear your feedback and to support this mission. Word of mouth is my oxygen. Thank you so much, fam. I appreciate you. I love you. Let's get back to the show. Well, I, I think that everyone is on their own personal journey right now. And I went through some very challenging times because when everything first started happening back in March, I basically immediately cried foul and was like, wait, guys, this doesn't make any sense. Nope, nope. Why are we doing that? Wait a minute. No, no, no. This does not make sense for how the immune system works. You know, this does not. And so I think a lot of people perceived that as callous. Like I didn't care who was affected. I didn't care if people Mm. died. And I think that people, I think a lot of, I know a lot of people still think that about me because they tell me that. But one of the things, again, you know, the sad guru is such a, such a wise man. And another thing that, that he said one time was, how can you be happier day to day? How can you be happier? And he says the way to become happier day to day is to recognize our own mortality. Because if you are constantly in that awareness of a bus could hit me, you know, I could, I could be in some freak accident. You know, I could stand up from this chair, trip over my rug, fall down and have a massive concussion that impacts my brain health for the next two years. That could happen to me. I pray it doesn't. And I, I, But when we come into terms with our own mortality and the mortality of people around us, all of a sudden, every morning that you wake up, you go, holy moly, I just woke up and so did the 10 people in the world that mean the absolute most to Mm. me. I am doing better than most people in the world because we have millions of people that die every single day. And of the people that die, at least 10 
if not a hundred or more people loved that person, knew them and mourns their loss. So if you can wake up every day and just go, oh my gosh, I get to see the sunshine again. Mm. It puts life into perspective. Now that said, none of us want to die. I wish every single one listening today a very long life. And I, my heart aches for everyone who has been adversely impacted by the coronavirus this, this year. I do acknowledge a few things that I believe to be true, and I believe that they are true because of research that I have read. One of those things is that coronaviruses are not new. This is a novel form of a coronavirus, and I know that sounds scary, but every single year we have a novel form of the flu virus. You know, every single year we have a shift in our viruses that we are exposed to. Coronaviruses are not new. They are always every single year within the normal mix of viruses. Most of them are similar to this virus in their mortality. You know, this virus, 85% of cases are mild to moderate. Let's take some joy in that. More than 99, roughly 99% of cases recover, which I, I get it. I understand if your family member is that 1% that did not make it, this is more pressing to you. It's more important to you. I fully acknowledge that, but let us take some joy in the fact that we know that the vast majority of people recover. We know that we can build antibodies. It has been demonstrated from research out of Stanford University that humans have a rapid ability to develop antibodies to the virus. This virus does differ in that it is highly contagious. It does spread rapidly from person to person. But here is another thing that we need to keep in mind is in general, and we are seeing this changing, but in general, it is a way for us to take a look at how our systems are failing our health and wellness. It's a way for us to take a look that a solid half of deaths from coronavirus this year have been in nursing homes. Well, that doesn't say anything for the general health of the population, but it says a whole heck of a lot for how we as a society value the lives of people who live within nursing homes, which are chronically underfunded, chronically understaffed, chronically putting the most vulnerable people we know that over the age of 85, your likelihood of dying from this is exponentially higher than someone who's age 35. Well, then we need to take a look at what do we, how do we value the end of life and nearing the end of life? Mm. Because just as we don't want to address death, 
oftentimes we don't even want to look at our own preferences surrounding our own death. We don't want to talk about that with our families. So if this is a moment that can give you the opportunity to value the life that people have in front of you and to have an understanding of what death means to you and what you want to happen to you when you're older or even when you're younger and something bad happens and you cannot make decisions for yourself. It's a great time to have those kinds of conversations. It is also a fantastic time to calm down and to relax because your body functions on two wavelengths. It's got the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight, or freeze, which is where we are as a society right now. A lot of people are either fighting and they're fighting on both sides of the, the virus debate but that has somehow become this really weird polarized political debate. And so people are fighting. Other people are just fleeing and they are saying, I just can't handle this. I'll, you know, whatever. I don't have to deal with this. And so they check out. They don't use this time to fully assess how well is the function of my body? How well is my job, my relationship? Do I know if my immune system is functioning well? How's my gut health? Am I absorbing, you know, all of my energy from food like I should be? So they flee. They flee away from the mirror that is in our faces right now. The mirror that is screaming at us, America, you have 4% of the global population and you have 22% of coronavirus deaths in 2020. You are the only rich industrialized nation that has already, everybody keeps talking about the second wave. Second wave was a month ago. It's already started where we saw cases go up and then cases dip down. And then what happened? Cases start to come back up again. And so if we are a nation with 4% of the global population and 22% of deaths thus far this year due to coronavirus, 50% of which are in nursing home populations and 64% of cases are within black brown and indigenous populations, even though those populations make up a minority of American society, it's time for us to start looking at how do we dramatically transform our relationship with our own health? How can we dramatically transform our relationship with our own stress. And when we do that within ourselves, it gives us the capacity to see it as a possibility in these behemoth industries that we on a conscious level know, and even, even on a subconscious level, we know that big pharma is doing us harm. We know that big agriculture 
and big food and the food, you know, the processed foodification of America is doing us harm. Franken food. Franken food. Yeah. It's food like products. It's not food, you know, it's not food. And so I've taken a lot of heat because I've basically said, Hey guys, uh, I don't know, but the key to a healthy immune system is the same as it has always been. It's the same as it has always been adequate sleep, adequate stress reduction measures, adequate nutrition, adequate sanitation. These things are not new. And the fact that we are trusting in an entire shift in society that we've never seen before. And we're now, people tell me all the time, Lindsay, it's just common sense. Of course you should be social distancing. Of course you should be wearing a mask. And I just take a step back and go, man, it seems like if this were common sense, it would have been something that we had been taught by our great grandmothers. Mm. That's what common sense is. That now, now washing your hands, easy, easy peasy, you know, but we've known from generations that the way to effectively quarantine and the way to effectively social distance, which come on guys, was not even really a word until this year. Nobody knew this word. It was a word in, in some infectious disease literature, but it wasn't a word that was on the tip of everyone's tongue. What did we do? We stayed away from sick people. Totally makes sense, right? If you're going to be exposed to sick people, fine. And everybody says, but what if I'm asymptomatic? What if I'm asymptomatic? Well, this to me is another way of saying, and listeners, forgive me, you guys practice whatever you want to practice. I'm just giving you my my perspective. If, if you're in the situation where it's like, well, I am so worried that even though I am well, I'm healthy, but what if I give a virus to someone else? What you're saying is I have an innate fear that my immune system is not good enough to keep my viral loads down enough to where I am unable to transmit something to someone else. And if I happen to transmit a virus, I also fear that the person's physical barriers and their innate and adaptive immune systems don't function well enough for us both to stay well. This is something, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you before, before I forget, um, and, and I appreciate you sharing this perspective. Out of the 22% of the, the, out of the U.S. deaths, right? So I'm, I don't even really keep track of the numbers, but you said it's 22% of the world count. But from my understanding, a lot of these deaths aren't even directly the coronavirus. Like if someone goes to the hospital, you know, for instance, someone could get in a car accident and they could die. And if on the autopsy, it shows that they have signs of the coronavirus, 
symptoms, then they go as a COVID death. Because again, going back to the political agendas here, right? There's, there's some people who have an interest that the death toll is higher, right? So, so how many of those deaths do you actually think are because of COVID? You know, it's really hard for me to, to tell because I fully accept that my perception is, is skewed in one hand as all of our perception is skewed to our own personal experience. And so one of the things that I have learned from taking hate on social media about this issue is I have to realize that my perception is a little bit skewed because I work in the wellness industry. I'm surrounded by people who practice yoga and do meditation and are empowered enough to want to take ownership of their own health. On the other hand, if I'm talking to an ICU physician who is seeing people die day after day after day from what they perceive to be coronavirus or what is coded at death as coronavirus, I also have realized, okay, part of the reason that things are so heated is because we're not expressing empathy for other people's perspectives. Mm. So it's hard for me to say, and it's a tough thing to do these days, but I really try hard to believe that almost everyone in the world has truth and the best interest of society in their heart of hearts. It's been a tough few months to believe those few things. Um, But... I, I don't know how much the numbers are skewed. I really don't. And I would not venture a guess simply because I, I'm not working in those scenarios that would even give me a perspective on it. I do know one thing. I volunteered three times. So New York, New York state, New York city called for volunteers to go and work front lines. And I was like, well, I am not scared of getting this virus. And if I do get from the very beginning, I said, if I get this virus, I get this virus. If I die from this virus, I die from the virus. And it never stopped me. And I said, well, I'm not scared of it. I know I can stay calm amidst the chaos. I'll go in, I'll volunteer to work, put me in coach. You know, I have the training, I have the skill sets. And even as the news was day after day, New York, the epicenter, New York, bodies piling up in body bags. I, I legit had followers asking me, do you walk around and see dead people piled outside of hospitals? And I'm just like, no. <laughs> um, even amidst all of that, they kept saying, we don't need volunteers. We're good. We don't need volunteers. We're good. And I think one of the greatest detriments that was made in the management of the coronavirus, which I truly believe led to an excess of death, is that we were so scared of overwhelming the hospital systems that we would transfer patients out from the hospital directly back to a nursing home or to a skilled nursing facility where you basically created an incubator for 
people to contract the virus and unfortunately to die from the virus because they were the most most vulnerable populations to begin with. Mm. What I do know to be true is that we as a society have been complacent with living ever so slightly closer to death than we need to be. We live just a few pounds overweight or maybe 10 pounds overweight or 15 or 20 pounds overweight. And not, not all overweight and obesity is the same. It's not all considered the same, but if you are carry, if you were once thin and now you are overweight, that weight has been accumulated over time. Now, if you are an Ayurvedic kapha body and you've got a beautiful distribution of a larger frame that carries more fat molecules on you, but it's not around your midsection, this is a completely different thing. But if you have that toxic fat that's hanging around your midsection and you're still eating the processed foods and you're still just taking maybe just one or two medications a day and you're not exercising and you have a stressful relationship, now is your moment to say, I can do small things each day not big stuff. I'm not asking you to transform your whole life and go live in an ashram in India. I'm talking about, can you spend three minutes today meditating? Can you drink one less coffee tomorrow than you did today? Can you go outside and breathe fresh air 10 times no people can't Lindsay, because they have to wear a mask outside and they can't even <laughs> they can't even inhale proper amounts of oxygen oh man. it's ridiculous I, I see people at the beach here wearing masks it, and, it, and it's hot outside y'all it's and 95 so, degrees out here <laughs> like, you know like i said everyone has to go through this emotions with their own things and with our own approach to it I have decided, like every other part of my practice, I will meet you exactly where you are, wherever that is. I personally remember all the way back in pharmacy school being taught that masks don't work. We have an abundance of literature that show that they do not, even in surgery, reduce infection transmissions. And we have we have decent evidence to suggest that cloth masks may increase the res the risk of infection transmissions and so when i look at when i look at the literature cuz there's an abundance of it now coming out that's like but masks do work but masks do work so there are a couple of things that i think we have to keep in mind if you are choosing to wear a mask Make it worth your while because most people are just going halfway because let's be honest, the, the, the mask is uncomfortable. You are continually, so breathing does more than just oxygenate our body. Breathing also does this absolutely critical 
thing in your body called help to manage your pH. So every time that you breathe out, you are not only breathing out carbon dioxide, but you are also breathing out carbonic acid. And so within that mask, you are also accumulating more and more acidic air. And so we need to be aware and conscious about, we know that the, our pH of our body is critically important and maintaining an alkaline pH is critically important. So also, if you are choosing to wear a mask, you better make sure it fits. You know, I see people all the time with fogged glasses. Your, your mask doesn't fit. If it's got an open bottom, you are no less at risk than you are without the mask. Another thing that is detrimental to human health from wearing masks is a lot of people transform from nasal breathing to mouth breathing because it is easier to breathe through your mouth inside of a mask than it is to breathe through your nose. This is a problem because nasal breathing engages your parasympathetic nervous system, taps down the stress response, and when the stress response is low, this gives your body the ability to ramp up your immune system. Because think about it. If you're getting chased by a tiger in the woods, your body does not care if it's got an active virus inside of it. It shifts everything away. So if you are constantly breathing in and out of your mouth, you are ramping up your sympathetic nervous system and making your immune system less able to function. So if you choose to wear a mask, be sure that it fits correctly and be sure that you are using the system of breathing that helps you to remain calm. The other great thing is, I just learned this last week, fun fact about the human body, friends. Did you know that there are as many hairs inside your nasal passage as there are on your head. What? So, isn't that crazy? I Lindsay, never, I'm I, like, I want to dissect my nose now. I know. I know. I know. Nose trimmers for all. I had no idea about this. And that is so powerful because not only are you getting the filtration so that you're not inhaling dust, which brings allergens like dust mites, etc., but all of these hairs also have this powerful mucus layer. And a lot of people think of the immune system as like a small army, and it's going to attack every single thing that's in your body. This is not true. The great thing about the immune system when it is in balance is that it attacks what is bad, but leaves in place what is good. Mm. Mucus Mucus ain't like that. Mucus is like, I trap all the things. That's what I'm good for. So all of this mucus that is around all of these hairs, you are all day trapping bacteria and viruses. And then you blow your nose or people would be absolutely disgusted, but it is true to think about how much mucus you swallow 
throughout the day. Mucus from our lungs, literally in an anatomical terms, goes up this, I guess it's physiological, but whatever. It goes up something called the mucus escalator. So you are constantly bringing mucus up from your lungs. You are constantly swallowing mucus from your sinus cavity. And that is because all of that mucus gets down into your stomach and your stomach acid kills it, assuming that you're not on some sort of acid blocking medication, which may increase your risk for bacterial and viral infections because you're not able to kill them with your stomach acids. And so- Sorry, finish, finish, finish. So we have these amazing mechanisms that help to protect us and we just need to take advantage of them. Yeah, seriously. I always talk about like overdosing on nature's drugs, you know, all of these things that are free, movement, water, sunshine, your breath. You know, we take over 25,000 of them at each day, but so often we're not even conscious and aware of those breaths. And the fact that they, especially when we breathe with our nose, like you mentioned, it activates that parasympathetic nervous system, which is really what people need most right now. You know, their cortisol levels are sky high throughout the day. They're probably not activating their pineal gland and releasing melatonin at the proper time. And it just, again, perpetuates this cycle. And I also wanted just to to piggyback what you said about the importance of the alkaline body. Um, and, and, you know, we, all the listeners know it's, uh, again, this, this alkalizing green drink that I always talk about, you know, to really create that alkaline environment first thing in the morning because inflammation can't really flourish and grow when, when that's our state. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, what is, I know you, you mentioned something about going through the motions, how a lot of people are just kind of on this hamster wheel. I also know you mentioned that in a post you had, right, where where you said that a lot of women specifically are going through the motions. And before you answer this, which I'm really excited to dive into, I just want to, again, piggyback what you said about this being such a special opportunity to really take inventory of where you're at in all aspects of your life. And like you also said, you know, these small incremental changes are so powerful. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times people get overwhelmed and they try and make five changes in one week. They try, you know, hitting CrossFit, doing yoga, waking up at 4 a.m. and going vegan all in the same week. And that shit's just not sustainable. No. Uh, and each time you, you, you master one of these little small incremental changes, you release dopamine and you cultivate confidence, right? And momentum for whatever's coming next. So- uh, sorry for interrupting, but what is what? What did you really mean by saying that women, uh, a lot of women right now, are going through the motions? Well, I think that women are often given this perception of what we're supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to grow up, get married have kids, be the peacemaker, be the one who plans all the PTA meetings and all of the things. But yet, if you're a woman like me, 
I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. I was never driven towards marriage. I was never driven towards being who my family told me I was supposed to be. Well, guess what? I'm a bitch. And so, you know, there's only these two roles. You know, the Sex and the City quote is so accurate when Miranda and Carrie are shopping and she's like, why are there only two choices, sexy kitten or witch? And it's like, oh, you said a mouthful there, sister. We women are also given this prescription almost of like, okay, when we're young, we are these sweet little girls who have to be taken care of and shielded from the ways of the world. And then we get to be teenagers and young women, and we are these sexual objects that are either exploited or abused or fetishized or we feel pressure to like be some sort of sexual creature that we're not, you know, for all of my, for all of my asexual listeners out there, like that pressure to like, wait, I'm supposed to be like cute, feeling like I'm supposed to wear a dress or whatever, but people just don't. And then there's the childbearing years where we become defined by how good of a mother are we? I did a post two years ago about, hey, you know, I just don't know that I ever will have children. Up until that point, I had no idea that mother-less shaming, like child-less shaming um, was a thing. I didn't know that women would go out of their way to be like, children are the greatest blessing that you will ever have. And to miss out on that is missing out on one of the greatest blessings of God's world and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, "Um, for you, that is true, but that is not true for me. So we go through this next season of life where we're defined by motherhood and mom guilt is real. You can never be a good enough mom. You know, you're either, you're either the tiger mom who's overbearing and blah, 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 or you're the absentee mom because you're the breadwinner of the house and how dare she work that high power corporate job or serve in political office or whatever. And then after that, there is menopause, which has somehow been defined. And if you want to know the full story of how it was defined, there is a brilliant book called Pharma that is about the... Um, manufacturing of the modern pharmaceutical industry. And the writer of the book mentions a name of a physician who wrote a book that basically medicalized menopause. And the way that he medicalized it was by saying that after menopause, women become frigid and they get dry in their vagina and they lose their sexuality and they lose their ability to have emotional connections with, with people. Well, that's just crap. Like that is not true. And we see a resurgence of women in their 50s, in their 60s, in their 70s, some women even up into their 80s that are still full of life and zeal and passion and drive. And, you know, when when J-Lo, when J-Lo performed at the Super Bowl this year, it was like, 
you know, we have this image. We, I know, like she's 50 some odd years old, you know, and we think of like 50 as being ancient and that's, that's crazy, you know? And so I think when we have all of these defined roles of what we're supposed to be, a lot of women fall into them and they just want to realize, okay, well, I'm, I'm keeping going. I'm doing the things. I've got the gold star as a mom. I've this, I've that. But if you never stop to ask yourself, what am I passionate about? What do I want? What do I think my contribution to this world can be that will change the world to make the world that I want to see, the world that I want my kids to live in, my grandkids to live in? Well, you're wasting it, sister. You know, here I go back, straight back to the sod guru. If you're in bondage, you can grieve your bondage. But if you are grieving your freedom and you are face-to-face looking in the eyes of, I see that just on the other side of this fence of fear or this fence of what I'm supposed to do is the art classes I've always wanted to take, the gardening classes I've always wanted to take, the vacation with my girlfriends that I've been putting off for five years, the yoga class that, dang it, I want to go to three nights a week and I'm going to stop feeling guilty for getting a babysitter or I'm going to ask my partner to not, you know, not babysit our children because if you have children with a partner, when you ask your partner, can you babysit? That's not babysitting sister. That's called parenting. And so we need to ask for more because a lot of women you know, women are always told you can have it all. You can have it all. No, you can't. You Mm. cannot have it all. Not at the same time. You can have it all. Just not at the same time. You cannot simultaneously be the mom who's on every committee at school, who does all of the household chores, who does all of the cooking, who does all, Lord knows, who does all of the homeschooling these days and who works a high power corporate job that puts food on the table for your family as well as 50 other families. Right. You can't have all of that. That's a, like just going through that sounds so overwhelming. I know it is. It is. And yet it just takes some courage and really and truly I remember I think I was about 27 years old when this happened and I remember pacing through my backyard on the phone with my mother telling her, I love you. I respect you. I will never leave you. You will always be my mother, but we're done with you telling me what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do with my life. This conversation Mm. is over. Wow. That's powerful. So, so question about that. And I, and I definitely, I definitely agree with you. I think it's prevalent with men and women. I think there's all these societal expectations and, and those oftentimes hinder us from really stepping into our true authenticity, right? And especially with women and social media, I feel like so many women now, um, especially if they are attractive, it's like they tie their whole self-worth to their appearance. And it's like, and I encountered this a lot, you know, with, with 
girls that I'm friends with and, and like they're in the spirituality space and it's like, I know them, but they just put out this facade and I'm like, and I, and I'm like straight up with them. I'm like, why? Like, you don't have to try to impress these people that you don't even know. Yeah. Um, so, so what was it, what was it that really gave you that confidence to have that conversation with your mom and just put your foot down and be like, Hey, I'm living life on my own terms. I mean, for me, it was, it was life or death. Mm. I can either live my life on my own terms or I can slowly die on someone else's. And that I think is the, is the choice that we all have, you know, um, the, the people that, that struggle with whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, I, I've been listening to Julie's library, which for all of the parents out there that have young children, this is a fantastic show hosted by Julie Andrews that is her and her daughter and sometimes her granddaughter reading books. It's a wonderful show for children. And they read a story yesterday about, it was called Not Your Typical Dragon. And the dragon turns seven and his mother says, you're going to breathe fire today. And he goes to blow out the candles on his cake and whipped cream comes out instead. And then he gets taken to the doctor and the, the doctor's like, okay, dragon, breathe fire. And he breathes band-aids out instead. And the doctor is like, dragons, breathe fire. What's wrong with you? And the doctor or the nurse under her breath is like, well, we were really running short on band-aids. This is kind of nice. And the story goes on and on. And the, you know, the dragon saves the day in his own little way. And the dad meets up with another character that's introduced. And that character says, your son is not your typical dragon. And the dad finally, after screaming the whole book, dragons breathe fire, don't you know you're a dragon? Says, you're right. My son is not the typical dragon. Mm. And if you can realize that you too are not a typical dragon. You know, you are just not. Be who you are and whoever doesn't like it, that's all right. They gonna find other people that they like. Not everyone has to like you, ladies, gentlemen. Not everybody has to For like sure. you. That's you just have to like yourself. We all have these this uniqueness. And I think when you really, you know, whether it's through ecstatic dance, whether it's through movement and yoga, whether it's, whether it's through singing or writing, however that way is that you feel home and that you're able to express yourself freely, lean into those things, you know, and, and that's so, such a powerful lesson. And I know so many men too, like they get held back by this idea of what it means to be masculine and, and understanding, you know, and I know you're familiar with this is like, once you understand the masculine and feminine energies and that they actually work together. And these are things that you definitely want to be conscious of. And especially, you know, when you are getting into a partnership, like reading the book, the way of the superior man and, and continuing to elevate your consciousness with, 
with those tools is super, super important. Um, so I'm grateful that you are bringing these things to light. And, and this is just a personal question. Um, Lindsay, so you mentioned earlier that you like connected in, in your experience as you were just learning these new tools and being introduced to new things. You mentioned a couple of shamans. So did you experience some plant medicine journeys? Um, what's your, what's your experience with that? So the one shamanic surgery that I have had was in Zambia. Um, the first shaman I ever met, she's amazing. She's still a friend of mine to this day. She is a shaman who practices like shamanic medicine and is on faculty at the University of Minnesota, who's also a pharmacist go figure. She was the perfect person for me to meet early in my career. And so I went to Africa in search of a shaman. And I went because I was on faculty at the University of Zambia. I was blessed to get to help to train the continent's first ever clinical pharmacist. Wow. Thank you. And in, in, in Zambia, there are more registered shamans who are members of the National Shamanic Association than there are licensed pharmacists, which I just found completely fascinating. And in Zambia, shamans can prescribe medicines as well, like tradition, like conventional Western medicines. And so I say, I want to go meet a shaman. Well, it was interesting because my, my friends that took me out there, they honestly, they thought I was out there for academic reasons. They thought I wanted to hear about the organization and to this and the that. And I was like, no, that's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm here. And they kept kind of just like, okay, that's cute. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that's not why I'm here. I am here to work with the shaman. That's why I'm here. And they stopped and just stared at me. And the, the male, the male shaman in the room, he says, he says, well, if you want to do it, you're going to have to agree to get my wife to see you because she's more powerful than I am. And I'm like, okay, where's your wife? And so his wife comes in, she's carrying a baby and she hands me the baby. The baby start. The baby like looks at me and just starts screaming. And I'm like, it's okay. It's just you know, it's just me. And you know, their their older children are like peeking around the corner of the house. Like, who is this woman? Be very surprised. And I go back there, I go through the, the, the shamanic surgery. It was a brief thing. It wasn't nearly as intense as, you know, doing any kind of, any kind of, um, even a cacao ceremony or anything. It wasn't as intense as all of that, but it was a very transformational process for me because she goes in she dresses all in white. She turns her back on me. She's smoking tobacco and she turns back to me and she's come all in white face. So she's now all in white with this white paint on her, on her hands, everything. And 
the first thing she says to me is you have a pain in your knee that has transferred to your rib and you need to figure out where it will travel to next and stop it. Why well, I had torn my ACL. I had recently cracked a rib, like within months of going to Africa, I'd cracked a rib and it helped me to put a stop to that. And she, it was also very interesting. So after she said and done, she's like giving me my prescription of all the, the herbs and the things that I need to take. And I walk out of there with like tree bark and these dried herbs, as well as like an antibiotic, you know? So it was a very interesting situation. And it came out later that I was the first ever white person that she had taken on this shamanic journey. And I asked why I was like, why me? You don't, you don't know me. I just came here from America and you know, you thought I was coming here for one reason. And he responded the the shaman responded to me because we could tell you weren't here for sport. You mm. weren't here to make fun of us or to do this as just an experience. You were here to do the experience. Mm. And I've always felt that was really precious. And I've always tried to approach healing modalities with that same, that same openness, that same vulnerability while also keeping up enough barriers to not allow any kind of abuse and recognizing that intuition early of like, there was absolutely no reason to do that yoga adjustment like that, you know? And so keep holding that space for true healing while also maintaining a boundary and a safety has been always very, very important to me. So yeah, it, it was a powerful, powerful experience to say the least. So that just kind of gave you the awareness of like, okay, this is something I need to address. Also, it is going, and, and, and the fact that you were, you were very intentional about the way that you did that and interacted. And, and that's something I've learned in my, my plant medicine journeys, whether it's, you know, ayahuasca or psilocybin or really honestly anything. Like I've learned that anything is that anything can be a ceremony. Like if you infuse intention into every meal, every breath, your coffee, even if you have like a drink of alcohol, like doing it with more mindfulness, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and oftentimes people just do things because they want to alter their state or they want to escape their, yeah. their reality. But when you actually do it the proper way, you get such a more meaningful experience. And I yeah. think that that's kind of what it reminded me of when you, when you kind of told that story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, it is very much that we can infuse intention into anything within our lives. We can infuse everything with intention and with gratitude and with meaning. Um, 
one of my pharmacy school professors told this amazing story about if you just walk through your day and pause and every white feather you see, you allow to be a blessing to you, all of a sudden you see white feathers everywhere and they all give you pause to just have a moment of <gasps> gratitude or there's an angel or there's the sign I needed. There's whatever it is. Whatever it is, is is really, really powerful. So I think that it is a wonderful way for us to take a moment to just give ourselves gratitude in every single thing that we do. You know, even, even if it's something you don't like to do, well, if it's something you don't like to do, change your language around it and I give love it that. a space of gratitude. Yeah. And Lindsay, that's a perfect segue. I know you recently launched this 100 days of gratitude. Can you tell us a little about that? I did. So I, after I moved um, out of New York to Asheville, I wanted to do something different with my life. I needed a transformation. So I am on day 31 today of a cleanse. And throughout the whole process, it it was like, okay, well, what's one more good habit I could pick up? Okay, well, what's one more habit I could pick up? And so, you know, I'm also on day 30 of getting my meditation practice back in order. I'm also on day 28 of my gratitude journal. And I just realized like, dang, that was such a simple thing. So if you head to lindsayelmore.com slash gratitude, there is a 100 days of gratitude practice. And when I reach the end of my journey, you can tune into my podcast and hear me share my whole list of all of just the simple one sentence things that I was grateful for each day. And before one last thing on gratitude we've talked a lot about toxic relationships if you're in a toxic relationship and it's your spouse and you don't want to get divorced and you've got kids and you want to make it work with this person let me share with you something that could be so transformative take this 100 days of gratitude and instead of it being you know I'm grateful for my new dress. I'm grateful for the clean water I have. I'm grateful for the air that I breathe. Every single day, you write down one thing that your partner did or that they said or that they wore. I'm glad. I'm so grateful you got that old t-shirt from our third date out of the back of the closet, honey. If you intentionally look for things that you are grateful for in your relationship. Mm. And then at the end of that a hundred days, you know, three and a half months of you intentionally looking for things that you're grateful for within your partner and you give that to them. Lord, I mean, if, if, if my boyfriend or husband did that for me, I would be just in the floor crying and husbands do that for your wives, wives do it for your husband's 
if they are able to see the passion and the commitment and, and the joy that you put into that project for them, wow, that's a huge blessing. And it's a way to transform sometimes what seems untransformable. So use that gratitude journal either for yourself, for your children, or for a loved one in your life. Wow. I love that idea about doing that with your partner. And, and oftentimes, you know, that negativity bias that we have in our brain, that cognitive distortion sometimes has us leaning towards what's wrong. What are these, what are my shortcomings? What are their shortcomings? So I love that, you know, just picking something, uh, something that makes you smile, something they did that you're recognizing and acknowledging. And Lindsay, I want to acknowledge you for really just showing up in such a powerful, authentic way for all of the people that you serve. And thank you. And I think right now, now more than ever, we need the message that you're putting out in the world. And I'm so grateful that uh, Samantha Wright connected us and I really, really hope to continue staying in touch with you and supporting each other through this journey. And I just want to give you the opportunity to share any last words. Where can people connect with you? Oh, well, you can always find me at www.lindsayelmore.com. I also have a vegan food blog. So if you're interested in plant-based eating, you can check out Clean Slate Cleanse and you can find me at Lindsay Elmore on Instagram as well as Facebook. And you can find me on Pinterest, Dr. Lindsay Elmore. And please, please go and check out the Lindsay Elmore show wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes, we're going to link to all of that in the show notes. And guys, as always, as you listen to this information, don't just let it go in one ear, out the other. Tag Lindsay and I in your story on IG with your biggest takeaway. What was something that you learned in today's show? I mean, Lindsay just dropped so much knowledge and this is the best way for you to really process all of that information and apply it into your life. Lindsay, I am so grateful for you and I'm going to get started on my 100 days. And oh, I, yay. Yes, I'm super stoked. I'm super stoked. And again, guys, you already know what time it is. It's time to take ownership of your life. It's time to take inventory of your health. Get rid of those toxic relationships and instead exchange energy with those like-minded, growth-oriented individuals Lindsay, much love and peace. Absolutely. Thank you. Please, please, please let me know what you thought. Let me know how I did. Let me know what was the biggest divine download that you had because ultimately that allows me to be better. And not only that, when you teach something, when you share something, that means you're learning it twice. That means it's becoming a habit. That means it's becoming part of your DNA. So much love, fam. And as always, it would mean the world if you took that extra 13 to 24 seconds to leave a review in the iTunes store. It helps spread this message and reach more people. I got so much love for you, and I will see you back here for Monday's show. Peace out.